Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15, the Word of God says, For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And let's pray. Lord, help us as we look at more verses this evening that... Uh, can cause people to doubt their own salvation or that sometimes people will twist into uh, some meaning that you never intended. And so I pray that you'd give us uh, wisdom to rightly divide your word tonight and help us as we look at this passage and perhaps another so that we can be uh, standing on solid, firm ground and have confidence in our salvation as you intended. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we're talking about problem passages. We began last Sunday night. If you didn't catch that message, you can go on the church website and and watch or listen to that. Uh, but just as a reminder, in our sermon series entitled Blessed Assurance, we identified 50 Bible reasons why a born-again believer cannot lose their salvation. God wants you to have confidence that you're going to heaven. We also made the distinction God doesn't want us to be presumptuous we're going to heaven, but we should be confident. And in a future message, we will uh, show you the difference in that. The Bible does say repeatedly, examine yourselves, search your own heart. The only one that really knows whether or not you're saved is you, and the only one that can fix that problem is you. Uh, so... We ought to investigate our own heart and compare that with the scriptures to see if we have done what God said to do. And then if we have believed in Jesus, if we have followed God's admonition for salvation, then we have confidence in that and walk in confidence. God doesn't want us living scared whether or not we're going to heaven. He wants us to have a measure of confidence so that we can confidently speak the word of God and help others. There are some Bible passages, though, that make it sound like you can lose your salvation. If you're just casually reading through, it can make it sound like, whoa, what about this verse or what about those verses? That sounds like maybe a lost person can lose their salvation. Also, there are some Christian denominations that teach, well, man, you can lose your salvation. Matter of fact, if you sin after you're saved, uh, you got to get saved again. Uh, and... Most of them, though, don't really know where to draw the line about what kind of sins or how many sins, and usually it boils down to your sins make you lost, but my sins don't make me lost, right? And it, it kind of turns into this arbitrary situation. That's why we need to go to the scriptures and have God draw firm, solid lines about what to believe. And so we're looking at some of these problem passages in light of the Bible. Last week, we looked at 2 Peter chapter 2. Verses 20 through 23, and I think that's an important study. Uh, but just to lay some ground rules, in order to rightly divide and navigate these passages, let me just give you some ground rules again so that we understand how to look at these scriptures. Number one, we take the Bible literally unless it is clearly speaking figuratively, right? And the Bible will let you know if it's speaking figuratively. A lot of people analogize or allegorize the scripture, and that's not true. When God said he made the world in six days, he means six days. When 
God talks about Jonah being swallowed by a whale. Jonah was swallowed by a whale. Uh, when Jesus tells a parable, and it's an obvious parable, then it's a story with the truth to be told. And so we, we learn to rightly divide those things. Number two, we use context to identify of whom the verse is speaking. Is the verse speaking to lost people? Is it speaking to saved people? Is it speaking to the Jews? Is it speaking to the church? All of that matters in how we apply and interpret the scripture. Number three, we use Bible definitions for Bible words. Assuming a Bible word only has one definition is a mistake. Most words in the English language have multiple definitions based on context, and we have to do the same with the scripture. And then number four, we never use an obscure verse to disprove an obvious one or an abundance of verses. So if you find one verse kind of as an outlier that's completely different from all the other verses in the Bible on that topic, then God does not intend for that one obscure verse to be twisted to undo all the other obvious things he said on that subject. And so to have these things in, in view, let's look at our text this evening. Jesus says very clearly, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your heavenly Father forgive your trespasses. So some people take this to mean that if you don't forgive or if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, you cannot be saved. Others take it to mean that let's say someone harms you, you're saved, and someone hurts you and offends you, and you don't forgive them, that now you've lost your salvation. And you say, well, how could they say that? Well, because the Bible says if you don't forgive, then God's not going to forgive. And we usually think of forgiveness in the context of salvation. And this is where we start inferring and adding things into the Scripture that God never intended. For example, this verse doesn't talk about hell at all, but people assume it's talking about hell. Uh, this, This verse is not... Uh, talk about salvation, but people assume it talks about salvation because it mentions forgiveness. But remember, there's multiple types of forgiveness in the Bible, uh, and, and there's multiple types of consequences in the Bible. So let's look at this in light of the Scripture. First, who is this verse talking to? Who is this verse talking to? Well, if you go back to the to the uh, beginning of the Lord's Prayer, God says in, or Christ says in verse 7, but when ye pray, use not vain repetitions. Uh, so he's talking to people that pray, and so uh, probably talking to Christians. But wait a minute, look how he tells them to pray. Verse 9, after this manner therefore pray ye are who? Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This passage of Scripture is applied to people who have God as their Father. It's very specific terminology in the Scripture. Now look back to verse 14. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your God will also forgive you. Is that what it says? No. It says your heavenly Father will also forgive you. So this is talking to people who have God as their heavenly Father. Look at the next verse. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, 
neither will your father forgive your trespasses. So the scripture is clear. This verse is speaking to people whose God is their father. Now, some would say, well, well, Pastor Chapman, don't you know that God is everybody's father? And I would say, no, God's not everybody's father. God is everybody's creator, but he's not everybody's father. Uh, we'll come back to this place. Look at John chapter 8. <clears throat> John chapter 8 in the scripture, Jesus gets into a, a fiery battle of words over who he is. And it's, it's a worthy study, one of the most fascinating uh, chapters in, in the Gospels as Christ is debating back and forth these spiritual leaders basically called Jesus the illegitimate child. And Jesus begins to talk about their father. Look at verse 43. Why do you not understand my speech? John eight forty three. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because ye cannot hear of my word, ye are of your father the who? Devil. The devil. And the lusts of your father ye will do. This is a hard lesson for unbelievers to take, but it's a necessary one. The Bible says that if you are not a believer in Jesus Christ, God is not your spiritual father. Your spiritual father is the devil. We have the sin nature from the spiritual father. Adam and Eve in the garden chose to follow in the footsteps of the devil. The penalty that was placed upon Satan was then transferred upon Adam and Eve and the whole human race through them. Hell was never meant for humanity. The Bible says in Matthew that hell was originally intended for the devil and his angels but when mankind sinned, that spiritual penalty passed upon all of us. And so spiritually, the spiritual father of all unredeemed humans is the devil. See, preacher, that's hard to take. I'm not the one that said that. Uh, might be rude if I said it. But it's absolutely true if Jesus says it. So he says in verse 44, Year of your father, the devil... And the lusts of your father ye will do. That's why we're all born with the sin nature. Nobody had to teach us how to lie, steal, cheat, be selfish. It comes very naturally from that, that spiritual sin and that uh, spiritual DNA that we got from our spiritual father uh, as the devil. It says, He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Verse 43, I look at what it says. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Uh, and then verse 45, And because I tell you the truth, ye believe me not. What's Jesus saying? The devil's your father, and as long as you keep not listening to me, he's going to remain your father. And the reason you don't want to listen to me is because the devil's your father. So all of us have to get to the place where we're like, whoa, I don't know anybody in their right mind that would say, I want the devil to be my father. It's a very natural thing to say, whoa, that offends me. And it is offensive, but there's something you can do to change it. And that is believe the word of Jesus, and then you get to switch families. So how does God become someone's father? Look back at John chapter 1. <laughs> 
John chapter 1. Look at verse 11. He came unto his own. Remember, Jesus came through the lineage of David. So he came to the Jews first. The Jews rejected him. And then he uh, went unto the world. So verse 11, he came unto his own and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to them that believe on his name. So this is the gospel plan in a verse. When you hear who Jesus is and you believe that he is exactly who he claims to be, he is the sinless son of God, he did come to die on the cross for our sin, and you're willing to believe he did exactly what he claimed to do, he did die on the cross for my sin, he was buried and he did rise again the third day, once you believe that, if you're willing to receive it into your heart, head knowledge becomes heart belief. You receive Christ as your own. I not only believe it in an intellectual way, I believe it in a personal way, and I am, I am betting my eternal destiny on the fact that Jesus Christ is exactly who He said He is, and He did exactly what He said He did. You put all your eggs in that one basket called the person work of Christ. That's the moment of salvation. And in that moment, we not only get our sins forgiven, as the righteousness of Christ is placed upon us, but we also become the sons of God like Christ is the Son of God. And notice what it says in verse 13, which were born not of blood, this isn't a physical birth, nor of the will of man, this isn't something you can will into, excuse me, nor of the will of the flesh, this is not something you can earn by doing, nor of the will of man, it's not something that you can just decide to do on your own, but of God. This spiritual birth is an act of Almighty God. It's a miracle. And it's called the new birth. Look at John chapter 3. Jesus explains this to a man named Nicodemus, who is a, a respected teacher in Judaism, but he didn't understand this basic truth. John 3, 3, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And so you've got to be born again. What's the new birth? John 1, 12 and 13, we just learned about it. Verse 7, Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. How are you born again? Verse 16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. How are you born again? How do you become a child of God? Look at verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You get saved, you get born again, you become a child of God by believing the gospel. And when you become a child of God, God becomes your father. Look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Wonderful verses to mark and memorize. We are twofold the child of God. We're 
once a child of God by conception through the new birth, and we're also a child of God by adoption. Uh, Roman law was very specific how uh, you could adopt someone into your family, but once you adopted them, you could never disown them. You could disown your natural-born child. You could not disown an adopted child. And so notice this, the book of Romans, the Lord here is talking to people that understood the, the magnificence of adoption, and he uses this uh, incredible truth uh, to help him. Look at verse 14 through 18. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Abba is a word that means like Papa or Daddy. It's a, this isn't just a, a formal relationship. It's a personal relationship. My children don't wake up in the morning and say, Good morning, Father. Father, I'd like to have some breakfast, please. It's not that formal relationship. It's like, hey, Dad. And in our house, we try to do the morning hug. I try to look at each one of my kids, even though uh, uh, I've got three young adults, and I try to look them in the eye and tell them I love them and give them a hug each morning, heart-to-heart hug, just my way of saying I love you. I'm glad you're part of my family. And uh, uh, it, it's a personal relationship. And that's the kind of relationship we have with God. Verse 16, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, we may be also glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That last two verses don't have anything to do with the message, but aren't they good? (laughs) You having a hard time this week? You having a hard time in life right now? Things are difficult. Folks, you be faithful to God because the glories that are coming can't even be compared with what we're facing, no matter how bad life looks. So we go back to Matthew chapter 6 and verse 14. Now we understand the context. Jesus is speaking to people who have God as their Father. This is not speaking to lost people. It's not a, it's not a salvation uh, verse. It's not a verse threatening people they can lose their salvation. If my children do something wrong, under no circumstance do I disown them, go in the backyard and build a fire and throw them in it. So why do we think that God, who went to such lengths to save us, is so quick to try to get rid of us and throw us back into hell? This doesn't make any logical sense. God's not trying to get rid of you. He's trying to save you and keep you. Amen? And so God wants to have confidence in that. But notice this is part of our daily prayer. Part of the daily prayer, look at verse 12, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We've got a series coming up where I'm going to teach you through the Lord's Prayer. I'm going to show you the the ten different elements of daily prayer, and I'm going to give you a framework of how to pray daily in a very effective way. Uh, I've been working on for years, and later this year we're going to give that to you. But uh, part of your daily prayer should be asking God to forgive you. Is that what it says? Forgive us our debts? But this isn't the prayer of salvation. It's not asking to be saved again. Lord, let me be born in your family again. If my kids came to me every day and said, Dad, would you please birth me again? Would, would you please have me again? 
would you please, and I'd be like, I don't think your mom's going to go for that. I think uh, once is enough. But it'd be kind of odd for someone who's alive to come and ask to be born again. This is not a prayer where we go to God and ask for salvation again. This is a prayer, it's, it's almost like maintenance. I don't want there to be anything between me and my father today. Just like if you want to have a good marriage, make sure there's nothing between you and your spouse today. Don't go to bed angry. Don't wake up angry. If something happens and you get angry or offended, try to work it out as soon as possible. Right? If you are a child, make sure you're right with your parents. If you've done something wrong, own it. Admit it. As a parent, if you've done something wrong, own it. Admit it. Ask people to forgive you. If you're an adult and you've wronged somebody, ask them to forgive you. Isn't that what the Bible said? Jesus said, leave your gift at the altar and go and make it right. And then come back and offer me your gift. Forgiveness is very important to God. Why? Because he forgave us. He wants us to have the same spirit of forgiveness with one another. So as part of our daily prayers, we ask God to forgive us of all the little things that we have done as his child that may be displeasing to him. And then we also check our hearts to see if there's anybody we haven't forgiven. And we forgive them. And if you say, say, well, I just don't know how to forgive, then you pray that God would give you the strength to forgive them like he forgave you. Isn't that what the Bible says? Look at verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And then notice the end of verse 13 is amen. And so that's the end of the Lord's prayer. But our Lord revisited the idea of forgiveness because unforgiveness is one of the great sins among Christians. Is that we could be forgiven of so much and yet we are uh, so quick to hold a grudge against other people. It's not Christian to hold grudges. You say, well, they don't, I, you don't know what they did. I don't know what they did. But I, I guarantee you, whatever they did to you, as horrific as it may be, it's not as bad as what you did to God. That's right. True. No matter what anyone's done to True. you, you were forgiven more. That's right. Good. And we shouldn't look at someone to decide whether they're worthy of forgiveness because we weren't worthy of forgiveness. Uh-huh. God didn't forgive us because we deserved it. He forgave us because he chose to. And forgiveness isn't saying what you did didn't hurt me. It's not saying that what you did was right. Forgiveness is actually the exact opposite. You hurt me, sometimes deeply, sometimes horrifically. But God forgave me more. And I can't be forgiven of so much and hold anything against anyone else. Sometimes forgiveness is a process. Uh, Forgiveness isn't just like, well, fine, I forgive them. Because if you've been truly hurt, and especially if you've you've held on to that hurt for a long time, it doesn't just go away. But I tell people forgiveness is like buying a house. It's a big down payment with regular installments. So when you forgive somebody, it's going to an altar and saying, God, I hurt so bad for what they did. I cannot believe that happened. I'm so hurt. I'm so angry. I'm so broken. But God, I hurt you far worse. And I put Jesus on the cross. 
And God, I forgive them and I want you to help me forgive them in a way that would honor you. That's the down payment. And then it's, you wake up in the morning, you're like, eh. nope, I forgave them. You know, you see them at Walmart. Eh. Someone speaks their name. Eh. And every time that comes up, you're like, nope, I forgive them. Nope, I forgive them. And you know what happens after a while? They stay forgiven in your heart. And you have that light, clean heart. So what does it mean? If it's not talking about salvation, what does it mean in Matthew 6, 14 and 15 when it says our Father won't forgive us if we don't forgive? That's what the Bible says, isn't it? Verse 15 But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And trespass is used for sin, but it's also a very visual form of sin. Trespass is to cross the line. Someone crossed the line. They went somewhere they shouldn't have gone. They said something they shouldn't have said. They did something they shouldn't have done. They trespassed into your life or into your heart, just like we trespass God's law. God says don't and we do. So we're talking about trespasses here and God says if you don't forgive them I won't forgive you. What does this mean? We find the answer in Matthew chapter 18. So look over at Matthew chapter 18 and we see a parable over there and I can tell I'm only going to get to this this one tonight. I had another one prepared for you but I'll only give you this thought tonight. What does it mean when Jesus says our Father won't forgive us if we don't forgive. Let's read this parable here, and it's, it's a striking parable. In Matthew chapter 18, and one that really works on our hearts. Look at verse 23. Therefore is the kingdom of heaven likened unto a certain king which would take account of his servants. And when he had begun to reckon, it's an accounting term, he began to, to balance the books. One was brought unto him which owed him 10,000 talents. So we won't get into the, uh, all that means today, but it was an unpayable sum. It was an absolutely unpayable amount. He would never be able to pay this off if he worked a lifetime. So the king's balancing the books. We find out this guy owes this unpayable amount, 10,000 talents. Verse 25, But for as much as he had not to pay, his Lord commanded him to be sold and his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. So back then, this is what would happen. If you couldn't pay your bills, they would sell you into slavery. They would sell your wife. They'd sell each one of your kids. They would sell your home. They'd sell your furniture. They'd sell your, your animals and take all that money and put it towards your debt. And so that's what happened. The, the king pronounced this is what's going to happen. The guards are coming to carry this man away. And look what happens in verse 26. The servant therefore fell down and worshipped him, saying, Lord, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. Then the Lord of that servant was moved with compassion and loosed him and forgave him the debt. Wow. This guy owes this unpayable amount. 
the king would have been right to look at him and say, you can never pay this amount if you work your whole life. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm done with you. And according to the law, he would have been righteous to do that. But the king had mercy and forgave him. This man did not deserve forgiveness, but the king forgave him. So you would think this man would leave lighthearted and free. He'd go home and tell his wife, we're free. He'd look at his kids and give his kids a big hug and a kiss and thank God that they were still together. He would be better with his finances. He would redo his budget. I mean, this this should be a life-changing moment for this man. He was going to live different because of the mercy and forgiveness. But look what he did. Verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. This is a very small amount of money. So seven pence back then would have been half a penny. It would have been half of a Roman penny. Think about that. In contrast, a talent of silver is 750 ounces of silver, 16 ounces per pound, you do the math, times 10,000. This was an unpayable debt. And he, he leaves there, and instead of going home and kissing his wife and kids, he goes and looks for and finds a guy that owes him half a penny. And look what he does, verse 28. But the same servant went out and found one of his fellow servants which owed him an hundred pence. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me that thou owest. He threw him up against a wall, put his hand on his throat and growled in his face, pay me my half a penny. Well, you can imagine the people that knew the story were not happy. This guy was just forgiven an unpayable debt, and he begins to mistreat this person, but it gets worse. Verse 29, his fellow servant fell down at his feet and besought him, saying, notice the wording, have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. The exact same words that the forgiven man had said. In the exact same position, fell to his knees. Have patience with me, and I will pay thee all. But look at verse 30. And he would not. The forgiven man would not forgive the man who owed him very little. But went and cast him into prison till he should pay the debt. Verse 31. So when his fellow servants saw what was done... They were very sorry and came and told unto their Lord all that was done. These people knew the story. This guy had been forgiven. He literally dodged a bullet. His wife should be a slave in someone's house. His children should be shipped off to people they don't know. He should be tormented as a slave the rest of his life. He was forgiven in an act of absolute mercy, shocking the onlookers. And this guy leaves and goes and commits somebody to prison who owed him so little, how could they not go back to the king and say, oh, king, I, I'm sorry to tell you this. I just don't know what to do. i got to get this off my chest. 
that guy that you forgave, this is what he did. And look at verse 32. Then his Lord, after that he had called him, said unto him, O thou wicked servant, I forgave thee all that debt because thou desirest me. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? Hold your place here and look at Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 13. Forbearing one another and forgiving one another, if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. That's what bothered this Lord so bad. You should have at the very least extended the same forgiveness that you were extended. And of course, we were forgiven an unpayable debt. There's nothing that anybody can do to me in this lifetime that could come close to how I offended a holy God. That means there's nothing in this life, there's no one in this life that I should not forgive. There was a preacher named Wormbrandt. He got caught behind the Iron Curtain, the communists, they arrested him. They arrested many of his church members. And in a book he wrote, he details the horrors of being in that prison, the things they did to break him. When they realized they couldn't break him, they began torturing and punishing and pillaging his church members, doing unthinkable things to the women, killing the men right in front of him. He told one story about how they beat up someone so bad and while they were laying on the ground, they began dancing on the body as the preacher huddled in a corner listening to the bones break and crunch as they danced upon this poor church member. The things that they did were unspeakable. But he tells a story about how he got so angry and bitter but God taught him that he should have love and compassion for his tormentors. And he began to preach Christ to his own tormentors. It made a large impact. And he details in that book about forgiveness. I can't even repeat the things that they would do to him and make him do. One day he saw it was shivering and he had just a blanket on and some ratty clothes and he saw one of his guards over there in a coat and boots and saw him shivering in the cold. And he said he felt the Lord say, give that man your blanket. And Wormbrandt's like, you've got to be crazy. He began to detail all the horrible things that particular guard had said and done. 
And the Lord said, give him your blanket. Give him your blanket. And an act of supernatural forgiveness and compassion, this man took off his blanket and gave it to the guard. Now the guard didn't want it because it was lice infested and filthy from feces and everything else. But that one act of kindness, God began to work on that guard's heart. Why would you do that? After everything we've done to you, why would you do that? Why would you give me your blanket? Now, thankfully, in this life, none of us will probably have to go through what Richard Wormbrandt went through. But he said, I looked at those guards and everything they had done, and I realized that I had done far worse to my Savior. See, we've got to stop comparing what someone did to us versus what we did to them. And we have to start comparing what someone did to us versus what we did to Jesus. And we are to forgive as Christ forgave us. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Now turn back to Matthew chapter 18. <clears throat> well, this man was forgiven an unpayable debt. The forgiven man immediately went out and found another man who owed him a very small debt. And rather than offer the same forgiveness he enjoyed, this rascal put his debtor into prison. The master heard the story and was furious. So the master put the forgiven man whom he had showed mercy back into prison to be tormented. And let's look at verse 33. Shouldest not thou also have had compassion on thy fellow servant, even as I had pity on thee? And his Lord was wroth. It still makes God angry when we refuse to forgive. And the Lord was wroth and delivered him to the tormentors and delivered him to the tormentors till he should pay all that was due him. See the application in verse 35. So likewise shall my heavenly Father do also unto you, if ye from your hearts forgive not everyone his brother their trespasses. So often people read this and say, well, it's talking about going to hell. You know, tormentors means hell. Can I ask you a question? Is hell mentioned in this passage? No. So why, we, why would we assume that that's what's being talked about? You think if God meant hell, he could have, he could have said hell? Yeah. Sure he could have. So what's the truth? The, the key word in these verses is the word tormentors. And here's the truth of this passage. God who forgave us so much expects us to forgive those who sin against us. If we don't forgive... God withholds His grace and protection, allowing us to suffer until we forgive. That's right. Have you ever noticed that the people who refuse to forgive, they begin hurting themselves and the people around them? It's almost like they're tormented 
They're tormented by the idea of what happened. They're tormented that justice was never had. They're tormented about this. They're tormented about that. It is a type of torment to have been wronged so desperately. And sometimes they're little things and sometimes they're, they're massive, earth-shattering, life-changing traumas. But when we don't forgive, we're the ones that pay the price. One man said, bitterness is like you drinking the poison and hoping the other person dies. It doesn't work that way. Hebrews chapter 12 talks about bitterness defiles many. When someone chooses to, uh, to, to not forgive, God withholds His grace, and so they begin to be tormented. They're tormented by the memories and the thoughts and angry that they see this person prosper and angry that you're not angry enough that they were hurt and angry that you don't understand. And they begin to sabotage all their relationships around them. They begin to hurt themselves and hurt others. They're in torment! How do you get free from that prison? You forgive. Many times over the course of the years in counseling, I've had to help people work through terrible traumas. And one thing I'll have to point out to people is this person that hurt you so much, you're still allowing them to hurt you today. You are sitting in my office 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years later. And they're still hurting you. You don't want to see them. You wouldn't have a conversation with them. You wouldn't let them watch your dog, take care of your kids. You want nothing to do with them. But that unforgiveness is like a chain chaining you to them. You literally drag them through life with you. And whenever you choose to forgive, you break that chain and now you're free. No more do they, do they torment you. You don't, you don't take them at home with you. You don't, you don't take them to, to bed with you and have terrible dreams. You don't take them to work with you. You don't, you, don't, you don't have the anger and the bitterness and the frustration and the hurt and the torment. They are gone. Because when you forgive, God steps in and says, now you get grace. And let me tell you something, friend. If you've ever been to the tormentor, and I'm sad to admit that I have. There's nothing like cutting that cord and breaking that chain and feeling the grace of God wash over you and having peace when there was once only pain. This is what God's saying. We see that in the story of Job. Job did a lot of things right the first two chapters, but then Job got really upset with God. He said, I wish I'd never been born. He said, God, why are you doing this to me? Job's friends came and he argued with his friends, justifying himself but not justifying God. God comes to Job in Job chapter 38 and begins to have a conversation with Job and says, all right, Job, you've been, you've been talking about some stuff. Tell me this, Job. Explain to me this. God himself confronts Job from the whirlwind. And we find that it was only after Job prayed for his friends that the Lord blessed him with twice as much as he had before. Job chapter 42 verse 10, 
And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Job got out of the pit and the boils and the pain and suffering when he prayed for the people that were supposed to help him, but instead piled upon his pain and suffering. But this was the lesson Job needed to learn. And when Job looked at his friends and said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you, I want God to bless you, I want you to I want you to know God. I want you to know the truth. When Job prayed for his friends, God said, now your whole situation changes. And it goes on to say, also the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. One of the proofs of forgiveness is when we can pray for the protection, salvation, and blessing of those who've wronged us. Didn't Jesus say something about blessing your enemies? That's right. Praying for your enemies? One of the proofs that there's no grudge being held is when we can pray for them. Not pray that God would kill them, you know, or make them suffer, but pray that God would save them if they're not saved, restore them if they're not close to Him. Forgive them for the hurting you and hurting other people. Asking God to draw them close to him. And God says, oh yeah, that's, that's what forgiveness looks like. This is what the Bible means. When Jesus said, if you don't forgive, neither shall your heavenly Father forgive you. Let's all be a forgiving people, amen? Let's pray. Lord, help us as we strive to live this convicting and humanly difficult truth. Really, we need your supernatural power to be delivered from unforgiveness. And Lord, it's difficult. It's difficult whenever we've been hurt for so long and carried something for so long. That bitterness, that torment is almost a familiar friend. But Lord, help us to cut the cord, break the chain. And when we forgive others, we can have your grace given to us. As we sit with our heads bowed and eyes closed, our invitation is a time of reflection and response. Is there anybody that you haven't forgiven? Maybe it's a little thing. Maybe you know it's little. You know it's petty, but you're still angry and upset. Well, you need to forgive that. Maybe you feel like it's just an absolute big deal. Maybe they meant to hurt you. Maybe they betrayed you. Maybe it's someone that should have been there to help you and protect you that hurt you so deeply. Maybe you're upset at God because he allowed something in your life that, that you don't think he should have allowed. Is there, search your own heart. Is there any person that you are harboring unforgiveness over? And every day in your prayer closet, every day, ask God to forgive you your debts and search your heart to see if there's anybody that you need to forgive. And there is a special sweetness to the light heart of forgiveness. There's a special peace. 
And when we forgive, we get grace. When we don't forgive, we get torment. Forgiveness is the obvious 